0: Hey everybody, welcome back to Gear 30 on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth, and you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com. Today, we've got another Reviewer Reports edition of Gear 30, and so I am first going to be talking with Luke Kappa, And then I'm going to be joined by Dylan Wood and Kara Williard to discuss some of the gear that we have so far found to be particularly noteworthy early in this winter season. And we are also rolling out a new segment on Gear 30. And we've been kind of workshopping this title, but at the moment, I think this new segment is going to be called Crashes, Falls, and Close Calls. And Cara Williard is going to be sharing a story of a rather epic crash that she had a while back, and you're going to get to hear me talk about a close call that I had just this last Sunday. So we like this new segment, and we're going to be asking you all to be sending in some of your stories to be featured in this new crashes, falls, and close calls segment. And if we do share your story on Gear 30, we're going to send you a blister t-shirt, a slick blister t-shirt. So check out the new segment and then send your own story in by going to the blister website and sending us an email through the contact us form. That'd be a good way to do it for now. This episode of Gear 30 is presented by Willie's Ski and Snowboard Shops. With two shops in the Pittsburgh area and one resort based shop at Seven Springs Mountain Resort, Willie's ski and snowboard shops are conveniently located for anyone living in or visiting the area. They have the largest selection of ski boots within a four to five hour radius of Pittsburgh. They have gear for everyone, from never evers to expert skiers and riders. And they offer stellar boot fitting and tuning services. So these are just some of the reasons why Willys is a blister recommended shop. And currently, Willys is offering our entire blister audience an exclusive offer. You can get 20% off any full price shift binding in stock. Just use code BLISTERSHIFT20 in person at any of Willie's three locations, or you can use the code blister shift20 online at willie's ski and we'll include a link to willy'skeandboard.com in the show notes of this episode. Okay, two more quick notes. First, I want to tell you about our next happy hour. This is a live stream that is open Just two Blister members, and we have been having a great time at the Blister Happy Hour. We do these every other week, and our next one is taking place on December 28th, and Matt Manzer is going to be one of, at least, our Happy Hour guests. And other industry people are popping in on these, so you never quite know who's going to show up. But if you are a Blister member, you can go to the member clubhouse section of the Blister website to find the link that will give you access to the next happy hour. And right now, we are currently planning for this one to start at something like 1 p.m. or 2 p.m. Mountain Standard Time which is going to be, you know, 9 p.m. or 10 p.m. Matt Manzer's time. And so good news for all of you living in Europe. This happy hour isn't happening in the middle of the night your time. So again, if you are a Blister member, head over to the member clubhouse section of our website and you will see all the past episodes of happy hour. And you should join us in the next one on December 28th, probably around 1 p.m. or 2 p.m. Mountain Standard Time. So there you go. Okay, one last note about our Blister Summit. The summit is coming up February 12th through the 16th, and we are going to be having a number of boots for people to demo and check out and take into the backcountry if you like. So there will be boots from Dinafit and K2 and more, and if testing boots makes you nervous, Because you think you might get blisters or hot spots, as I sometimes do when I'm skinning, particularly in a new boot. Well, we have some good news for you, and we are looking out for you because we are going to have Compede Advanced Blister Care at the summit to help you out with any fresh hot spots that might be forming, or you can throw one on before. A blister starts to form. And this is actually something that I am now doing more and more. Um, I'm going preemptive on blisters. I mean, we kind of I guess sort of love blisters around here, and then we also kind of hate blisters around here. It's a confusing situation, but the good news is that Compede is making very effective products to deal, you know, with the bad kinds of blister, and then you get to just enjoy like the good blister so there you go and with that let's get some gear reports from our reviewers straight from blister hq here we go all right it is just luke kappa and me in blister headquarters in elevation hotel in mount crested butte colorado lucas it's so our last chance to hang out before you head back home for a few days for Christmas. And then we'll get you back out here. But um, glad we could have our final little... not not You'll be back before the end of the new year. So this isn't that, but it's our last pre-Christmas hangout. Yeah. <laughs> That's a thing, right? Yeah, totally. So two important things. First of all, what we're drinking. I currently have... A new image blister artist series ambulation drink. We've heard about that. I I quite like this one. You are going, keeping it a little arguably more traditional over there. Yeah, I have
1: a new image. I guess they just call it the West Coast IPA.
0: It's just called the West
1: Coast IPA. Um, Mostly I grabbed, grabbed it because... I didn't want to use up all of the Artist Series ambulations um, because those are going fast in the blister fridge. They are. And they're limited edition um, and they look really cool. Um, (laughs) But the main point is that I haven't tried a new image beer I didn't like. Yeah.
0: Um, Were you hoping you'd hate this one? No,
1: no. I've had it before. That's right. And I definitely enjoy it. Like I'm kind of just very impressed how consistently I've enjoyed all the beers I've tried. Cause at this point I've tried several. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Okay. Now the other important thing, which I always ask you this question when we sound check, have you had any food today? And once again, you have, and you said you kind of had what your quote was, I kind of had a, I
1: kind of had a quesadilla. <laughs> um, all the ingredients were there. It wasn't, The end result was not, didn't totally resemble a quesadilla. My approach lately has just been to uh, combine ingredients I enjoy into a bowl and just mix it all together. Um, So there was cheese, uh, grilled chicken, and uh, tortillas, Hmm. and some hot sauce Hmm. um, that I cooked kind of like a quesadilla but i the pan i was using wasn't great for actually like cooking a whole quesadilla so i did it open faced and then just flipped it to try and like grill the cheese <laughs> Because like there's oil in the pan and like you can sometimes get that crispy, just cheese on pan action. That <laughs> cheese is on pan. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'm sure the French have a word for that yeah. technique. <laughs>
0: um,
1: it's probably accident, um, <laughs> but uh, it, was, it was tasty. Uh, I'm mostly just trying to use up all the food I've left in the fridge because um, I'm going to be gone for like
0: almost a week. Okay. So it's like a... Kind of like a Christmas quesadilla, one might say. Yeah, sure. (laughs) Christmas quesadillas. Um, I feel like we should have some giveaway. People can enter to win like Christmas quesadillas made by Luke. Like you come to Crested Butte, Luke makes you a Christmas quesadilla, that's the giveaway.
1: It, it was definitely not a meal that w- I would categorize as like something I'd cook for someone. <laughs> it's like, it's good enough for something that makes five minutes to make at 6 a.m. before I start working. Huh. Um, yeah, but may- maybe I'll refine it into something servable. <laughs> Giveawayable, would you say?
0: Yeah, I don't know about that. <laughs> um, my big news on the food front, which might also double as what we're celebrating, a couple of days ago i actually went to turn my oven on Mm. which i (laughs) did It explode (laughs) no the opposite it didn't work Mm. and but i was so mad because i've literally only turned my oven on maybe this was the third time in over three years yeah that's wild and i was like see this is what happens i go i try to you know, cook like a normal adult using things like the oven and this is what I get. But I felt really adult because I talked to, as I do, our buddy Rob Dickinson. He's like, my oven doesn't work. Who do you call around here? I was very afraid to mess with it because one, I don't know anything about ovens and two, it did seem like one of those things that has the potential to like burn your entire house down Mm -hmm. if you do it wrong. So uh, Rob sent me to, shout out to East River Appliance. Folks came by, lovely people oven is fixed. I haven't actually then used it, but I, I know it works and it probably won't be like a year until I do use it, but mm. I just seemed really adult of me. I would make fun of you,
1: but um, pretty much the only thing I use my oven for is to make frozen pizzas. So, oh, okay. <laughs> it's not like I'm making five course meals with it.
0: Okay. Anyway, I have a working oven. in Case, you ever need to whip up some Uh, Christmas quesadillas and you're like, Hey man, can I use your oven? I'll be like, yes, it totally works. Good to know. All right. We're going to call that giving the people what they want, even (laughs) though it's quite questionable. Um, but I always like catching up with you about your latest, uh, culinary endeavors, but the other latest endeavors that it is very cool for us to be able to report on is we are fully back skiing like regularly. And, um, Hence time to weigh in on just a few things are our, our time. We, we need to keep it brief. This is only you're only one part of the conversation. We need to get to Dylan and Kara later.
1: Yeah. And I need to mount a bunch of skis oh, right yeah, after you,
0: this. That's right. And our recorder, we're on batteries right now. And um, pressure I'm, is on. <laughs> I'm very much watching the clock. So tell us a little bit about a few of the, in your opinion, most notable or interesting things you've been skiing so far this year.
1: Yeah, so we've already gotten on a lot um, and Blister members will have seen many flash reviews being posted over the past few weeks um, and we'll continue doing that and updating those as we spend more time on products. Um, But yeah, there were a few standouts. Uh, The first one, which I was on most recently, I've actually talked about on the podcast last year after the Blister Summit, um, a custom wagner ski that is 104 millimeters underfoot mm-hmm. it doesn't have a name but um it was one of wagner's employees personal skis at the summit that i ended up trying because the wagner ski that i've been trying to try all week was so popular with everyone else that every time i went to the booth my the length i wanted wasn't there and i like fell in love with that ski at the summit um but it was also one of the best days in terms of conditions that I skied last year. So it was a a slightly biased opinion. That was when we went out with Jed Yeiser and it was the first sunny day after like a two and a half foot storm over the previous few days. So like soft conditions, perfect visibility, everything was open. Like you couldn't ask for better conditions. And then they sent one for a long-term review and I got on it, that was pretty late in the season. And I was not as enamored with it as I had been and was kind of bummed out. But then I opted to get back on it this past weekend, uh, specifically when they opened the East River Lift, which meant it was fairly soft conditions, but like fully skied out. I got out late that day but the main thing was i moved the demo bindings as far forward as i could um, because what i remembered from skiing at the first time was like oh this feels more forward mounted and more accepting of a centered stance than the wagner factory series summit mm-hmm. skis um, which i thought was a, a big part of why i liked it so much uh, but when we did specs on it it was a minus 10 mount point which is like right in traditional directional territory. Uh, but I moved them forward as much as I could, which I think was about two and a half centimeters. I'll need to double check that. And instantly I was like back to that hmm. first day. Loved it. Hmm. And I'm, the main thing I'm blown away by is its weight. Because when I first skied it, I would have guessed it weighed somewhere between... 2,100 and grams. It's a 185 centimeter ski, 104 millimeters underfoot. We weighed it and it weighs a little bit under 2000 grams and it does not ski like it and I was, it, I was just confused when I saw the specs. So then the next day after my first day back on it this season, I skied the Black Crow's Atris, which is almost exactly the same Atris. weight. Atris. Sure. Okay. And the Faction Mana 2, also extremely similar weight, like mid-1900 grams. The Wagner is clearly better in terms of suspension huh. and stability. Specifically, I was mostly focused on like Soft Chop, which was what Resurrection, yeah. uh, the run on East under the East River Lift was uh, this weekend. But I was very surprised by how significant the difference felt and I need to do more A-B testing, but it is currently up there for like one of the best suspension to weight ratios hmm. of skis I've tried. Hmm. Uh, I had to reweigh it to double check that we hadn't like messed up the numbers or something. And I got back on it today and we were... <laughs> Of course, every time we try and shoot photos, it goes full graybird. Yeah. like th- some of the flattest light
0: we've skied this season. Um, And then every time we're not out, it's like full Bluebird. Exactly. Yeah. So, our timing is a little off at the moment.
1: Yeah. And I was skiing like crap today because I couldn't see anything. And it definitely, like, it didn't feel, it's not some ultra stable ski It's just for what it is, it's extremely impressive in that regard. At the same time, it's very maneuverable. Like, it's not locked in whatsoever. It's got a just for giving enough tail for my preferences, but it's still light enough where it feels quite quick and you can ski it with a dynamic style, but it's got somehow the suspension to let me ski a lot more aggressively than I could on some other similarly light skis in the same conditions.
0: Yeah. Any thoughts at the moment how it compares to the Summit 106 that... Kristen Sena and I are such big fans of. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, I think main difference is it feels a little bit more damp, huh? I think. I haven't skied them back to back. Um, And I
0: haven't skied the 104 at all.
1: No, I think I'm the only one right now. I asked Dylan about that today and I told him he needs to go ski it with the bindings (laughs) slammed forward. Um, I made a
0: joke about this recently. Did you hear it on a, it was like I was talking, telling people about the blister summit and the dates. And I was like, come ski with pro skiers and our team and you can grill Lou Kappa why he insists on shoving the bindings forward on every single ski he tests. Yeah.
1: I, it's not every ski. On the Mana 2, I have them
0: back. Fac- Faction, Faction Mana 2. Faction Mana
1: 2, huh. they're moved back.
0: Well, what's the recommended mount on that well, ski? Well, they
1: provide three of them. Oh, and yeah. we pr- we mounted on the, I think, the most forward one, which is like minus three and a half okay. from True Center.
0: So uh, basically, really, it's not that you love everything so forward. It's you, you're you're really liking a minus six, minus every seven. Every ski
1: should be mounted mounted at minus six, except for carving skis.
0: Okay. I'm, see, like, I'm
1: actually. That's an exaggeration. I I know, but I might, I might come to your aid on this one. Because I've had a lot of conversations recently with Paul Forward, and he is a totally different skier than me. Yeah. And he is, he's constantly telling me about how
0: skis are mounted too far back so often. Yeah. I, I mean, a lot of our favorite skis. A lot, I should say a lot of my favorite skis, I I do tend to get along with minus six, minus seven mounts. Not everything, but mm-hmm. okay.
1: Yeah, like it's only one factor, but certain skis where moving the mount point forward doesn't mess with other characteristics, yeah. I tend to prefer it moved forward because for some skis that might create too much tail where they yeah. get way more punishing or you're so far off where they designed the side cut radius to be centered that it carves like crap. So I'm definitely not saying I want to do that with every ski, but it's something I'll test with a lot of, especially directional skis. But like this ski, it doesn't feel like a traditional directional ski. It's got pretty deep rocker lines. It's not super stiff. It feels like a ski that could, could work for a freestyle oriented skier. So that's why I was curious. Um, but yeah, there there have been also several skis where I'm like, nope, that doesn't work. Yeah. Like the new Fisher Ranger series. Yeah. Um, immediately when I got on them, I was like, there's too much ski in front of me and I'm not using it. I think these will ski great once we move the bindings forward. And then I did that and I was like, nope, that uh-huh. didn't work. Yeah. Um, similar story with uh, the OG K2 Mindbender 99. Oof. Uh, and I I told Jed Yeiser, the K2 uh, ski designer that, he's like, yeah, it's almost like we designed it to be skied on the recommended line. <laughs> yeah, Jed <laughs> gets cliche. salty. Jed oh gets yeah, salty. I, I totally understand that. But anyway, um, that was the Wagner 104 was a case where I haven't yet noticed any drawbacks mm. to moving it forward to what is somewhere around eight centimeters behind true center
0: okay all right that that helps the cause yeah he's he's not he's not getting too he's not slamming too hard forward minus six to minus minus eight is a very reasonable range to be in on a lot of things yeah okay yeah what else since uh our batteries are dying and you need to go mount a bunch of skis um mm-hmm. i'm not going to talk about the stuff i've been on yeah. i'll say that for when i'm talking with dylan and Kara. Yeah. but um so i'm really sorry that y- <laughs> to deprive you of a lot of enlightenment about skis but there'll be another time yeah so, i'm sure yeah
1: um yeah there have been a there have been a lot of products that have been really interesting um, one that we talked about on the most recent Happy Hour live stream yeah. for Blister members is the new Scarpa 4 Quattro boot series. Yeah. Um, I've been uh, skinning in the 4 Quattro XT, which is the stiffer version. And it's super different. Well, feels super different than anything from Scarpa that I've tried before. It's It's like a mix between a two-piece and a three-piece boot. It's an overlap shell, but there's also a tongue, a plastic tongue. Um, but mostly it's way lower volume than I expected. They, they talked a big game about how low volume it was. But the stated last is 100 millimeters, which is considered by most brands, medium volume in quotes. Um, But it definitely feels like a low volume boot in most areas, especially the instep, which is nice for me because I have a very low instep and the ankle felt pretty low volume, which is nice because I have a pretty low volume ankle. Um, The width of the midfoot, which is where I usually experience problems because my midfoot is kind of wide wide feels about on par for a stated 100 millimeter last maybe a little bit lower volume than I expected uh, but yeah the fits very different and I mean they're the the funny thing is that they're marketing it as kind of a 50/50 or crossover boot they could be used when you're riding lifts or when you're uh, skinning uphill for your skiing. But it's way lighter than pretty much anything, any other products that are marketed for similar purposes. And it has way more stated range of motion. So, to me, like if they hadn't said that, I would be like, this is just another touring boot yeah. from Scarpa. A, a, a stiff touring boot, a free ride touring boot, whatever you want to call it. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it walks really well. I think it's it's on par with a lot of those kind of 130 flex touring boots like a Atomic Hawk 60D I don't it doesn't have as much range of motion as the Scarpa Maestrali, but especially rearward it's super impressive which is nice for me especially like if I don't want to flip a heel riser, like rearward range of motion lets me avoid that if I can really get back on my boots. And the flex pattern is very nice. Like it's, it's a strong boot. It's not, it doesn't seem like an outlier in that regard, but I I think they're very, they're not out of line calling it a 130. It's still progressive, which is nice. Mostly I still need to ski it inbounds and just do back-to-back lift laps and probably ski it with, uh, another boot on the other foot to really test that. Cause the suspension of the boot definitely feels like it weighs whatever it's like 15, 1500 something grams for a 26 five. Um, it does not feel like a plush boot. Um, which is why personally I don't, really want to ski it inbounds yeah. in at least in firm conditions yeah. but we'll have more to say about that but it's a it, it's an interesting boot that seems like it kind of straddles the line between dedicated like 50 or 50 boots that tend to be a whole lot heavier and stiff touring boots that tend to weigh the same but be more oriented towards touring but yeah, that'll be interesting. Mostly because it seems like it has the potential to fit my foot really well, which I've never really found in a, in a touring capable boot. So it might end up being my touring boot for when I want something s- stiff like an alpine boot. Hmm.
0: Yeah. Hmm. All right, ma'am. Well, in keeping with, I think this actually is literally the shortest conversation, at least we've ever recorded. Yeah, because it's not a full podcast. Yeah. But still, that's...
1: I should just tell you that we'll record a separate part in future episodes.
0: Yeah. And we'll just publish that that one. (laughs) The batteries are totally still working in this device. So I feel like we kind of just crushed this. I mean, we're really, we're kind of A-plussing it right now. One more thing before I forget, because I probably will forget to do this at the top of the episode later when I record the intro. Happy hour. I talked to several people this week who didn't know this was a thing we're doing. They're really fun. We do, we're do we're setting it up for every other week. So I believe the next one is slated for December 28th. We live stream these. They are for active Blister members only. We get our crew of reviewers on a live stream. Members can jump in, ask questions. I believe... That Matt Manzer is coming in for the episode on the 28th. And given that he lives in Austria, so that's eight hours ahead of us, we're probably gonna do that one earlier and maybe start it around 1 p.m. or 2 p.m. our time, Mountain Standard time. So anyway, but I will this is a note to my future self to record something at the top. But for all those hardcore, legit gear 30 listeners who, you know, are still listening 22 minutes in. Y'all, get this note that I'll probably forget to do at the top. Happy hour, December twenty eighth, with our team and Matt Manzer should be fun. Hmm. Um,
1: and we will aim to get the li- the link to the live stream in the blister member clubhouse, which is where you can find all this stuff in advance. So if you know you're not gonna be able to make it live, you should be able to submit questions you have if you want. And you'll be able to watch replays of each happy hour also in the member clubhouse.
0: Yeah, so there's that. All right, that was a public service announcement. Um, I'm gonna let you go mount some skis. I'm gonna edit an open mic piece right now that should be up definitely should be up by the time. People are listening to this. That's what we got. So, all right, man. Well, thank you. And, uh, merry, merry freaking Christmas.
1: Yeah. Merry Christmas to you too. And see, you the day after.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. All right. All right, man. Take care. All right. Well, it is now the next day. Lou cop is gone, but in his place, Dylan Wood and Kara Williard, uh, you guys are so much cooler than Luke. This is really just this has really been really been the best just kidding Luke.
2: I'm shaking my head right now Luke.
0: Yeah, he disagrees. Same. Dylan's oh, they both disagree. They're like, "No, Luke's way cooler." Um anyway, uh yeah, déjà vu for me. Really was literally just doing this. Um we just had a nice little catch-up session. Then we hit the record button and our first order of business here, which we just have been talking about for the last 10 minutes, rather enthusiastically, I think the first gear that we need to talk about, and this might be the best thing that happens to us like all through 2023, actually, we have a very sick new ski boot dryer, glove dryer, at least according to our initial impressions. We are all very big fans. Dylan, say a bit more of the details here. What are we talking about?
2: Yeah. So, we got the gear dryer wall mount 12 installed here in Blister HQ and of all the skis, bindings, boots, whatever we've been getting, the wall mount 12 has to be easily the most exciting piece of equipment that we have here (laughs) in Blister. Um, You can dry your gear um, anywhere from 15 minutes up to 24 hours. So, our other gear dryer that we had from them. We've been loving it so far, but we had some kind of weird timing gaps in there. This thing has a sick display screen and this dial that lets you fine-tune the dry time up to like 30 minutes at a time, um, all the way from 15 minutes to 24 hours, like I said. It's got 12 spots for your boots, your helmet if you have a sweaty scalp for some weird reason (laughs) that we're not judging you for your gloves, <laughs> um, controversially, your socks no, potentially no, no. No we're socks. gonna we're gonna
0: bring this up because <laughs> you guys are disgusting. specifically, I thought it was all Luke doing this, and every time I'm back there and there's gross ass socks on our boot dryer, I'm like, I'm gonna kill him, but it's it turns out it's you too, Dylan. All right. We just need to hear in the comments what's
2: worse. Wet boots or wet socks? Because my vote is wet socks. That's grosser than putting on wet boots.
0: I'm talking about placing them on a drying machine that we all use. (laughs) Somehow, somehow, I'm far more comfortable with boots being put on that than your gross ass socks. Is that strange, Kara?
3: I mean, not really. Caveat here is that it takes a lot for me to get grossed out about either socks or boots or feet, thanks to my years as a boot fitter, but I am a bit of a germaphobe. So the fact that I'm no longer battling it out with the guys as far as trying to claim what was our pretty small boot dryer before, now I'm just going to have my own little section and I don't care what they do. Socks can go on the other area okay, of the boot that's dryer, fair. but okay. I'm going to have my area and socks are not going to touch it because also my foot is not that sweaty. So you guys have some.
0: Dylan,
2: let me offer a counter. I wash my socks at least once a week.
3: That's pretty good. How
2: many times have you washed your boot liners? What is really more disgusting?
3: Yeah. And whose boot liner is actually probably the grossest? It's mine.
2: Yeah. Your zip fits that you've had for like 18
0: years.
3: (laughs) 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 Fair. I mean, that seems pretty
0: fair. All right. I think we're going to make a new rule right now. The older, smaller boot dryer, which I will continue to call it a boot dryer. That is relegated to gloves and socks.
3: But do you really want you, your hands yeah, I don't touching your... That. Well,
0: I'm, <laughs> I'm never... Because I'm never going to use that one again. <laughs> That's why I'm saying this. That and I don't, I, don't th- I don't need to dry my gloves. Like, what is wrong with you? You have... Like, you and Luke have some kind of weird, <laughs> like, genetic disorder. Or what's happening with... I'm not being sweaty hand shamed right now. <laughs> <laughs> you are, though.
3: Okay, we're not shaming anyone Wait, who sweats. It's natural. I right? think
0: Kara and I should basically. Are we going to, are you going to like designate?
3: I'm going la- to be labeling this thing. Okay. I am oh, actually boy. okay
0: with that. Yeah. And I'm all right with that. But, but literally, our rule is socks have to go on our other smaller dryer. If you continue to insist on that, if I ever see a sock on our new, Beautiful machine. What did you? What have you? You've already named it, Dylan.
2: Yeah, I've nicknamed it Tars. Um, after the robot in
0: Interstellar. It looks very similar to me. Tars. All yeah. right, I'm I'm for it. Yeah. If I ever see a sock on Tars,
3: do not disrespect Tars. Do not
0: disrespect <laughs> Tars with your gross ass socks.
3: But also props to you for washing your socks once a week.
0: That is pretty.
2: That
3: That's is pretty, pretty good. <laughs> good.
0: <laughs>
2: yeah, I'm not gonna lie. All right. I'm more concerned about you two now that you've made that comment. <laughs>
0: um, <laughs> Okay. Anyway, again, initial impressions only, but we, if you couldn't tell, we are very excited about this development.
2: Yeah. If you have like a house, yes. condo, um, a place that a lot of people are going in and out of skiing, uh, I think this is a must have. Yeah. Gear yeah. dryer, wall mount 12.
0: Gear dryer, wall mount 12. Yeah. yeah. And, it, and it does like for people who do like to dry their gloves or mittens or whatever, you got plenty of room for mittens and your ski boots. If you, you know, I guess if this is going into the privacy of your own home and you want to put disgusting, your disgusting socks on your beautiful TARS machine, that's a personal decision that we'll leave up to you. But that's not how we roll in Blister headquarters.
3: Yeah, this is a clean operation.
0: What should the fine be? Like if I do find a sock or you do, Kara?
3: They have to ski without socks for a day.
0: No. (laughs) No. beer
2: fine beer fine yeah (laughs) six pack of beer per incident.
0: no no four pack of new image no no i think we're gonna this might be like bar hill gin we need to step i do not want it i really do not want to see this i didn't know it was that serious (laughs) yeah it's that serious so okay we'll figure out the, the punishment but there will be one anyway
3: Thanks, gear dryer 12, wall mount 12.
0: TARS. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Thanks, TARS. It, it, pretty great so far. Anyway, okay, there's that. I feel like we can wrap this episode of Gear 30 up. I mean, <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty good uh, now, but um, maybe we can talk about a few... Well, before we talk skis, should we talk ski boots? Sure. Okay. Kara?
3: Yeah, I ventured out a little bit in this season uh, in the Fisher Ranger 115W. That's a 50-50 boot, so it does have a walk mode. And I actually have yet to tour in it, which I hope to do in the next few days. But I've been really impressed so far with its performance on resort. The skiing has gotten a little bit on the firmer side over the last few days, and I have found the suspension offered by the boot to be pretty impressive. I'd say it's Comparable to the Technica Cochise Pro, which has been kind of my main boot actually for the last two seasons. I know it's a 50-50 boot, but it's worked really well on resort for me. And the Ranger 115 has actually felt pretty similar, both in terms of suspension and overall flex pattern. It feels like it's on the stiffer end of other women's 115 flex boots, which is I also slot the Cochise in that category. So I think they've been pretty reminiscent of each other. The Ranger is a bit lower volume than the Cochise, um, just generally. But I, for at least for my foot, I found it to be pretty uniformly low volume. So, like the toe box and the instep and the heel pocket are all a bit lower volume than the Cochise. But for me, so far, it has worked. And yeah, I will be really curious to tour in it. I am actually looking for a good kind of one boot quiver right now because I have some stuff on the horizon where I just want to deal with one boot. We'll kind of see as time goes on if the Ranger might actually take the place of the Cochise that I've spent a lot of time on over the last two years.
0: Wow. These are, I was not ready for you to drop claims oh, yeah. like this. It's, it's been good. What are we talking about weight wise?
3: Yeah, so weight-wise, the Cochise and the Ranger are pretty much almost identical, right? At about like 1620-ish for each boot.
0: And we're talking specifically about the women's Cochise.
3: The women's Cochise Pro and the Fisher Ranger 115. So they're both 115 flex, 50-50 boots. Wow. Yeah, so far really good. And again, I have not toured in this boot, but it'll be really interesting to tour in it and compare it to the Cochise and kind of get a read on what it feels like going uphill.
0: Yeah. And I mean, maybe we're going full apples to oranges now, but I've been really impressed with how the Cochise skis. Yeah, same. In terms of uphill, fine, but not like mind blowing. Cause if you want to have your mind blown on the uphill, there's a zillion other lighter boots that ski way worse than a coach's. So I'm just a bit surprised.
3: Yeah. I mean, I've been surprised too. And so far it's just been a few very firm resort days, but that's kind of, I think a great test yep, of like totally a boot in this category and, uh, you know, charging hard on bumps and trying to really get some carves in on the groomers. And I've been all in all impressed both in terms of fit and overall performance as far as flex and the way it's handled a lot of these kind of firmer days.
2: Yeah. That's good to hear. And just so folks know, we do also have the Fisher Ranger Pro 130 men's boot in a 26.5 that I think would be super interesting to compare to the Cochise based on what Jonathan and you, Kara, have been saying. And yeah, just for reference, that boot is 50 grams lighter than the Cochise at 1770 grams. Very similar state of stated range of motion and last um, I didn't like the coaches because I thought it was a little bit too big for my foot. So you Kara saying that the Ranger Pro is a little bit more low volume could be promising.
0: By the way, speaking of your feet and your earlier <laughs> speaking about your gross feet, why, why is you your right foot
3: at his feet? Right why now? is Aren't your, your feet foot on a, are... right on a
0: coaster? Right, now? it's <laughs> on a coaster. That's disgusting.
2: The coaster is behind my feet, and my feet are bare because my socks are drying on the boot dryer.
0: Yeah, the new one. Yeah, you owe us. <laughs> Both no, a bottle of Bar
2: Hill gin. No, I did that before we made the rules and it became apparent how uh, serious of a situation this was.
0: Okay. Next time, you owe us both, both a bottle. It is clear as glass. Um, my advice, if you see a coaster in Blister headquarters, I would not really touch it because it, there's now like a one in eight chance that Dylan's <laughs> feet were on it. Okay. My foot was in front of the coaster, not on top
2: of it, just to be clear. <laughs> I don't know who's licking the bottom of their beverage. I don't anyway. know, man.
0: I just, yeah. Uh, anyway, next, Dylan, skis.
2: Yeah, so early season, I like to spend time on a ski that's easy to tip over and get into a carved turn. I just find it a bit more intuitive to get back into the swing of things. Um, historically, it's been like a fun carver, such as the line blade or the black crow's merest core but this year it's been the head super shape E rally. This is a 78 millimeter underfoot carving ski that we have in a 177. It's got a 15.3 meter radius. And my first day on it was at Breck, mostly skiing like blue groomers. And I was first, first of all, A little bit surprised by how much effort it took this ski to bend it into tighter turns relative to the fun carvers like I mentioned before, despite their pretty similar radii. But after getting into the groove of it, um, turns out the head e-rally is pretty fun ski that I've been really liking and this is coming from someone who has no formal race background or to be honest, I feel like I only really learned how to carve like four years ago. Um, it's definitely a ski that wants you to be on it, um, in the front seat, driving the shins of your boots, shins of your legs into the tongues of your boots, um, loading up the shovels of the ski in each turn. Um, it was a really good workout. It might quads were burning by the end of my first run on that ski because it was my first run of the season um i've been really impressed with the edge hold that it that it has on on icy groomers um but even skiing some groomers that are like sugar on top of ice uh, i don't feel inclined to go much wider there i've been impressed there too with the lack of of washing out on on more roughed up groomers as well Um, yeah interested to compare that to the e-titan that we've had we've been kind of skiing both of those recently um, but so far, yeah, feels like the e-rally is a fun ski for someone who wants to make a lot of, you know, slalom to tighter GS turns on the hill and yeah, wants something that demands good technique, but you certainly don't have to be an expert carver to enjoy it because I'm not, and I've been having fun. So, yeah.
0: I don't know. We just posted a pretty sexy photo of you and your all red kit <laughs> carving up a storm out there. So maybe, I don't know. You're.
3: The proof is there.
0: <laughs> you're, you're getting better. I mean, you're still disgusting, but you, you, look, you look you look like you know what you're doing out there.
2: Yeah. Well, I appreciate it. And for when we're taking photos, I'm always in my head. It's like, I only need like one frame of me looking like I know what I'm doing. <laughs> so, I wouldn't suggest going into the Google Drive folder that shows you the before and after pictures. <laughs> um, but I'll take the compliment. Appreciate it.
0: Tomorrow is looking like we're actually going to have a pretty... Sunny, sunny, cold day, good. I mean, good kind of anything testing day, but I might be into kind of doing some skinny A being tomorrow afternoon. Yeah,
2: that's a good call. Yeah. I was about to bring the E Rally and the E Titan out. I had them in my hands and I walked out of Elevation Hotel and realized how um, white out it was today and uh-huh. snowing. Yeah. And I was like, I'm not doing this. (laughs) And I walked right back inside and grabbed a different ski. So yeah, we'll get
0: there. Okay. And this might be a good time to just provide a little bit of an update. We have, well, been busy mounting a bunch of skis for our Alpine Binding shootout. We've talked about this a decent amount on previous episodes of Gear 30, but I believe we have like 23 pairs of the k2 Mindbender 99 and we are going to be going through a bunch of kind of prominent alpine bindings to try to this time we could just be not like abc but i could literally go through almost the entire alphabet should i do that right now anybody want to hear me like sing through the abc we're going to abcdef no we'll pass just stop just stop um so We've been kind of getting some other things done so far this year, but this is about to become part of our uh, everyday, certainly every week testing now as our whole team starts to do what we do. And uh, like we've said, um, I really don't know what we're going to find, but we are about to start finding some things out. So stay tuned for more on that. Uh, We certainly will be rolling out information uh, in more like real-time in flash review form and probably be starting like the world's largest flash review in this front is kind of what I imagine. So blister members, you'll be kind of getting the real-time observations and insights on that. So there's that. So become a blister member, get yourself some flash review info.
2: Yeah. Lots of interesting bindings to test. I think I'm most interested in testing the Alpine version of the Tyroli attack 14 versus the demo version. Cause I know we've got a lot of questions about that yeah. specifically at last year's blister summit. So yeah.
0: mm-hmm.
2: very interested there.
0: Yeah. Well, the ski I then want to talk about is the ski I've been skiing my last several days out. And that is the Folsom cash 93 in a previous gear 30 conversation. I talked with Mike McCabe. Folsom's head honcho, about this new ski of theirs. And so you can go listen to that conversation with Mike. But this has been really interesting because we, and in large part I, have really been talking a pretty big game about the Folsom Spar 88 punchline. I currently find that to be one of the most versatile like 88 or narrower skis out there. Maybe the Mindbender 89 is given the Spar 88 a run for its money. Full review on the Mindbender 89 should be up on the website when people are hearing this conversation. But anyway, um, so I was quite curious to kind of see how similar to the Spar 88, how different. I was worried a bit if it would just kind of feel redundant, too much overlap. and. Um, I have yet to go a it against a Spar 88, but man, I can say the punchline for now is people who are still looking for a versatile, truly all-mountain ski that now, of course, we're bumping out the width a little bit, this should be on the radar. And I think the punchline for now, if you like the sound of a Spar 88, but want to maybe be getting a bit more flotation out of your ski just in case you get lucky when you're traveling or whatever and you're going to still bring this ski out and when you've encountered six inches or 12 inches of snow then no question i would opt for the cache 93 over that spar 88 i think one of the most unique attributes of this cache 93 is It's shovel. It has this paddle looking shape to it that to be honest, I'm still not like aesthetically I'm I'm, like hung up on it a little bit, but it does not ski weird at all. And with a paddle shape, sometimes what I don't like about certain paddle shapes in the past is paddled up shapes often have like come to a very uh, skinny tip at the end and then i feel like skis like that will tend to get twitchy or deflect. What's interesting about the Cash 93 to me is there it's just a like rounded over tip. It it is not coming to a point. It is not it is not a heavily tapered tip. And so what i was worried about is that that shovel would feel a bit twitchy. I'm not getting that at all. And back to the point about powder, I I was skiing the cash 93 when there was the rope drop on East river. And so skiing like stashes of pow on black Eagle and down resurrection where you're getting into like a mix of stuff scraped off and then like a pocket of 12 inches that those shovels just kind of planed up and floated the way I would want them to. And so honestly, I'm clicking with that ski quite a bit. One more point. That ski is really freaking fun to carve. Like I need to I want to get some more time on it to to like when we write the reviews to sort of talk about exactly what's going on, but two things that I'm finding that are kind of stand out about it, maybe On everything other than the steepest sections of international, like very steep wind scoured portions where absolutely give me like no rocker, go skinny and give me no rocker. That's what I would want to be on, on a ski. But anything other than that, that ski is just hooking up and feels so solid on edge in terms of its edge hold one, but my God, the rebound out of that ski like you can load that ski, or I've been able to at least load that ski up and get shot. Um, And so, you know, sometimes we talk about skis where there's a lot of rebound and pop out of them, but I don't maybe love their edge hold and don't feel like that element is that confidence inspiring. And right now for an A truly all-mountain ski, which is what that ski is trying to be, kind of in that one ski quiver category, both the edge hold and the rebound is kind of wild fun so far. Dylan is nodding a whole lot with my whole monologue. Thoughts on this, Dylan?
2: Yeah. So the Cash 106 from Folsom has been, I'd say, in the top 10 of my favorite skis of all time. That was one of the skis that really blew me away at our first summit in a 188. And so I was really intrigued by this ninety three when it showed up at at Blister HQ. And looking at the shapes, it seemed like it was just gonna be like a narrower one oh cache one oh six. But I think I agree with you that it Truly surprised me the most on groomers because I remember, yeah, the Cash One Hundred Six was a good carver, but it didn't really feel like its forte. Definitely felt like a ski that wanted to be off-piste and pow moguls, steeps, and whatnot. And I'd say the same is true of the Ninety Three. It's definitely a ski that I'd be totally fine skiing all over the mountain, but the energy and the edge hold that it has on groomers is definitely something that really surprised me, given the shape and given my experience with the older the. Wider Cash One Hundred Six.
0: We may be coming back to the Cash Ninety Three when we launch our inaugural uh, segment of what are we calling it? Crashes, calamities, (laughs) and close calls. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll be we'll be getting back to the the the. I was about to say the Crash Ninety Three, which would have been fitting, but the Cash (laughs) Ninety Three. And just
3: a note on that, we do have it in two lengths, mm -hmm. and we've had a whole bunch of reviewers on it so far. So we'll be saying a lot more on that scheme. Yeah. yeah.
2: And we have a cache 106 yeah.
0: for, for you as well, correct? Yep. Awesome. Yeah, so. Multiple links. It's nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, Kara, before we get to our new crashes, calamities in close calls, that'll, that'll come at some point. <laughs> it's going to be natural soon. Yes. <laughs> Give me a few episodes. Um, last thing from you, what should we...
3: Sure. It's quick. And I just find it interesting because I tend to be someone who stays away from insulated jackets most of the time. But this season I've spent almost every day on resort in an insulated jacket. Um, I actually have two that I have kind of been Testing back and forth right now, and one of them is an anorak. Sorry, Jonathan. Wait, um, (laughs) an
0: insulated anorak? Yeah. All right.
3: So (laughs) it doesn't
0: make it like better or worse. (laughs) It, yes. just is. it just
3: anorak. is okay so to be clear it's uh the flylo sarah anorak which is an insulated anorak and also the flylo avery jacket so i just got back from antarctica and people are asking me whether or not it's colder here than there and to be completely truthful it's mostly been colder in the gunnison valley it's been pretty low temps um, we've had a lot of pretty cold days out on resort over the last like week or so and so pretty much every day i've been in an insulated jacket and With that, I've been skiing like a lot of moguls and feeling like I'm working pretty hard. And so I feel like both of these insulated jackets have been really breathable. I've been able to regulate my temperature. But then when it comes to like the freezing cold lift rides and some of the colder winds, um, I mean, what have like the lowest temps we've been skiing, do you think?
2: Like seven degrees, I think.
3: Yeah, like seven degrees Fahrenheit. And both of these have been excellent. This is also my first time skiing in an anorak. And so my new personal take is that I really like them. So, you can add me to the list of people that like anoraks that Jonathan calls out on the regular. Here's the thing <laughs> if
0: we're going to defend anoraks, the best case you can make for them in my well, there's two cases. One is if you are really need packability, which most of you listening to this do not, just for the record. But, like, if you are really like, I need stuff to get as packable as possible. A case can be made for certain anoraks. And then the other case is when it's really cold, I will, and it's just like, I am just trying to stay as warm as possible. I will give you that. So I might actually be more pro-insulated anorak than the stupid shit that the people who are just trying to like be trendy. So see, yeah, this is what you call the definition of open-mindedness right over here. Insulated
3: anoraks. Insulated anoraks. They have in place. place. Third reason to defend them is the pocket space is incredible, which I feel like more, like women will relate to that a bit more because we don't always have as ample pocket space for all like the phone and everything else. And the pocket in the Sarah anorak is really great for comfortably holding my phone and other items. And uh, it's kind of like a kangaroo pocket. It feels pretty good to have a bunch of stuff in there. And yeah.
2: I've never run into pocket space issues personally.
0: Yeah. yeah. I'm, sure I'm more
3: you like, boys oh, I
2: don't. didn't know I had eight pockets on this jacket. Right. I
0: <laughs>
3: only
2: used two of yeah. them.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> that same way.
3: Well, <laughs> that's <laughs> my note on insulated jackets. They do have a place, as it turns out, when it's really cold.
0: Insulated jackets, yes. Insulated anoraks, what define? Yeah, you're cut off. We're cutting <laughs> you off. I- I've been rocking an insulated jacket this year.
3: I mean, I avoid insulated jackets a lot of times.
0: I used to. I used to feel really strongly about that. No, I think this is worth kind of saying. Like yeah. I was like, just rock a mid layer. But there is something nice in cold temps about the dedicated insulated jacket. I am. What, where are you at, Dylan? <laughs> don't. I don't know.
2: I I like having insulated outerwear around for those extra cold days. But I don't think it's practical for most people to own. I think it's more practical for most people to own a shell. I would agree. And with this. several mid-layers, maybe not several, two or three mid-layers.
0: There's no question that's the more versatile kit. Mm -hmm. But if you live in a place or just ski in a place that gets quite cold, especially if for people who roll cold. Yeah, that's true. I just roll really hot. So
3: yeah, Dylan's an exception. He hardly layers up on even the coldest days. So
2: yeah, I have the metabolism of like a cheetah. Wow.
0: Seems kind of like
2: pretty braggy. I actually don't know if cheetahs have fast metabolisms. (laughs) I totally just made that up. So we'll fact check that.
0: All right. Well, there's a case for insulated jackets and insulated anoraks. Okay. Okay. It is now time for this new segment that obviously we are calling crashes, calamities, and close calls. And uh, I've actually had this idea for over a year Now, but it has taken us some time to get this new Blister Plus Spot membership thing going. And I thought this would be a pretty fun feature where we could share some of our Blister reviewers' anecdotes about their own crashes, calamities, and or close calls. But we could also invite our Gear 30 listeners to submit their stories And then I think what we're going to do is, if we read your story on a Gear 30, we're sending you a shirt. We're sending you a shirt. And uh, we can actually, for the time being, it could be, while supplies last, our first Blister Artist Series shirt with John Fellows' awesome art. Or we have a kind of straightforward shirt that just says Blister on it. Those are our options at the moment. Um, so anyway, send in your stories and uh, yeah, let's read them on the air. And uh, but to get things started, um, and one more thing I'll say, we're actually going to be publishing some of these stories uh, on the blister website, because as people are thinking through, like, do I really need something like this blister plus spot coverage that we've just rolled out, we would want to just have more and more anecdotes Uh, from people who are like, well, if you ever might be in a situation like this, then consider it. And the funny part is like, I know all of our stories, we sort of all would have been the person that's like, yeah, I'm good. I pay my expensive monthly insurance. I don't really need this. Well, Kara's going to go, her her story's slightly different here, but hear us out. And I think some of these are going to be kind of fun. Hopefully some are funny. Probably some will be, Rather tragic. We'll see what happens. But um, so, anyway, you can go to our website. We'll include a link to this uh, and you can read sort of one of my anecdotes, one of Dylan's. We both have more stories. But um, for now, Kara, is this a crash, calamity, or close call?
3: It is very much a crash.
0: (laughs) Okay, let's go.
3: All right. Well, I guess I will relive a bit of a traumatic story that I'm still processing. I've come a long way since the initial accident, but I look back on this and I learned a whole lot. And of course, I just find the timing very interesting Um, because I was 26 years old. I had just fallen off of my parents' insurance plan. And so, of course, in my like confident 26-year-old mind, I was like, I'm strong, I'm healthy. I very rarely go to the doctor. I probably haven't been to the doctor in like five years. I'm just going to sign up for this very affordable, catastrophic plan. Of course, this is me living out the height of my ski bum career. So I'm skiing like hundred days a season, working at a ski shop, you know, not making a ton of money, but I felt like this was the best insurance route I could go. So I signed up for a catastrophic plan and it was relatively affordable, like 150 bucks a month. And of course, I didn't really understand like maybe what a high deductible really meant. But later on that season, I took a trip to Japan to visit my partner. We had an amazing few weeks skiing. I skied some of the best days of my life. Um, Actually the day prior to the incident was what I like do define as the best ski day I've ever had. We were on a very remote island, um, north of Japan called Mount Rishiri. And the day before the accident, we had actually summited and skied the entire volcano, um, which was like a 6,000 foot day conditions were incredible. I was feeling super strong and it was just like the highlight of, I mean, I just think of that as like the epitome of the best ski day I could have ever had. And so of course I'm on an all-time high and the next day um, is our last day on the island and we decided we were just going to go for like a quick tour. Um, I hadn't taken into account just how tired I was or perhaps how much the snow had changed overnight because of a bunch of wind and rain and we just decided it was going to be a quick and easy day and um, we headed out for a pretty mild tour, especially compared to what we had been doing the day previously and uh, kind of dropped into some some conditions that we didn't really fully understand were as bad as they were. It turned out to be some very grabby breakable crust. And so I kind of pulled into a pretty strong left-hand turn and broke through the crust and immediately got spun around, felt my ski release, heard my ACL pop, and then proceeded to slide about 500 feet. And actually, I would have kept sliding. It was really hard for me to self-arrest into this breakable crust because of how like strong the crust was. I just could not poke through. Like I've had good moments of self-arresting before, but this was just a moment where I was like, I feel like I cannot break through. And even when I finally stopped, the only thing that really like was holding me to the snow was Uh, My partner actually pulled out his ice axe and we like set that. And that was like the only way we could really stay still on this crust. And so just a bunch of, you know, bad factors and um, had to self-rescue. I actually was coping pretty well without an ACL. So got out pretty well and um, spent a couple weeks just like being a tourist in Japan and also kind of setting into this state of denial about how bad my knee was. Like I had heard the pop, but at the same time, I just really did not want to admit to myself that I was broken. And I also didn't want to face the consequences of that, knowing like all the financial consequences and things um, that it meant as far as like taking my summer job, which was mountain bike guiding at the time, having to step away from that and just kind of like facing this whole onslaught of consequences from this fall that I really didn't want to deal with. And so it took actually quite a while for me to admit that my knee was in pretty bad shape. Um, I think I spent like three weeks admitting or like in denial that I hadn't actually torn a ligament. But then, of course, deep down, I knew that I had. So then it kind of got to this moment of like, it's really time to figure this out. And I really had no option but to get an MRI from a doctor that was out of network. And so that was the first kind of big chunk of money I paid. That was a $3,000 MRI because I needed to... I needed to get the results so that I could know whether or not I had a job that summer as a mountain bike guide. And then, of course, the MRI proceeded to tell me what deep down I already knew that I had completely ruptured my ACL. And at that point, I didn't know if I had meniscus damage or not. And so then came the realization that, of course, I needed to book surgery as soon as I possibly could. And at this point, my deductible was $10,000, which for a ski bum is a huge chunk of money. I mean, it felt unfathomable. Um, so that was already like $13,000 that I had to pay to receive my ACL surgery, which when you look at the total bill for that surgery, we're talking around like $40,000. So, you know, I'm a, I'm paying $13,000 of that, which felt like, um, yeah, I mean, it was just, it was a really hard number to reconcile with, given what my lifestyle was at that time. And of course, that also meant that I was out of my summer job. And so I had to completely pivot my life and figure out what I was going to do. Um, and then I think like the real, like maybe the most difficult part of all of this is that the PT, the physical therapist that was in network. I spent like three months going to them and they were just not giving me what I needed. And so that was like the free PT, you know, that was in network. And I just realized that they had really no desire to like get me back to sport or kind of like fine tune a Regimen that was going to return me to where I wanted to be on skis. And so that was a difficult realization to make is that I needed to seek out a better PT and that that was going to cost a lot of money on top of this. And so then for like the next five months, I found the most incredible PT, but of course he was out of network. And so that started at $125 a session, which I was going to for every week. And I did that for four months. And so that was another several thousand dollars on top of the $13,000. And I mean, of course I had support in my life at this time. You know, I have family that like I actually had to move back in with my parents because of the financial state I was in and all these different things. So it's not like I was on my own for all of this, but of course this was like a pretty huge hit. And, uh, and to also realize that like the help I needed wasn't coming from the physical therapist that I had available to me and that I had to actually Start to just shovel out 125 a week to feel like I was going to get back to where I needed to be, um, which was the most important thing to me all along was just getting back on skis. As
2: as it should be, right?
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, a couple things. One, you know, thank God for catastrophic insurance, right? That's a great thing. But if you had had spot at the time, you would have paid zero. So, there's a couple things to say they come in and it is $25,000 of coverage per accident per injury. So in the case of your high deductible kind of catastrophic insurance, they would have covered that 10 grand. Then when you mentioned this the PT that was out of network, Spot doesn't have in network or out of network and this is huge. Mm-hmm. This is huge. So you would have gotten all of that and paid just that, you know, our blister plus spot thing is $399 a year. That's for 12 months of coverage. That's $25,000 per injury. And it's a zero deductible. And one of the questions we've been getting is your coverage starts the minute you sign up on blister. So you get your order in Payment goes through. You are covered starting that day, right? And so that's kind of what we're
3: yeah what we're playing and with here. It was international, so I mean, it would have covered that. It would have
0: covered. Well. It was an international incident. You are covered there. Yeah. It is anyone, anywhere in the world, regardless of your country of residence, regardless of. Country of Citizenship and for the activities that are listed, you can go to our site and check this out. But this is exactly, exactly like the story Kara just told, the stuff about I didn't have 10 grand. That is an unfathomable number. And you're moving back into your parents' house and the rest. Like this is exactly why we've been so adamant and passionate about starting this program up. So
3: yeah, it would have been a game changer for sure.
0: Yeah. yeah. I'm only going to tell my close call because I sort of said I would, but that is a hell of a story. And it's exactly what we're talking about. Yeah. But and,
3: Sorry. And so for all those other 26 year olds that are falling off of their parents plan, yep. there is no better or more opportune time to sign up for a spot because yep. you may feel invincible, but uh, yeah, the mountains can smack you pretty hard.
0: All right let me just end with this one little close call because it happened Sunday and I mentioned it and yeah, the good news is I came away unscathed, but definitely could have not had that be the case. So I'm out on the Folsom cash 93. And as we've been talking about, I was like, I freaking love how these things carve. So I'm coming back to the silver queen basically to catch a like, one more lap before before the four o'clock, you know, bell hits. And I am, you know, you kind of get like hero grade groomers, like as you're coming close to back to the queen. Yeah, one of the best groomers on the mountain. right? You're I like, this is like full rock star. Yeah. So I'm like laid over on a left hand carve and someone on a chairlift is like, yeah! <laughs> and so then I'm like, like laid out in this carve and i'm kind of like looking up like is that one of my friends or is is one of you know who is that and i'm like in this sustained carve looking up at the chairlift and then i realize i'm about to come like right into like the the ropes and now in hindsight hitting the tiny little pole this would have been like, just hit the pole. Like it wouldn't really have mattered, but somehow I acted like I would have was like about to go flying off into the abyss or like don't hit the pole. You cannot knock over the little pole and rope. So I do this like full, like fall back seat, which effectively puts you into the classic like backward twisting fall and sort of bail out to avoid hitting the stupid little pole so real stupid, but like, yeah, I was pretty fixated on whoever was yelling at me from the chairlift and, you know, kind of like wiped out hard and fast and wasn't some ragdolling event or anything like that, but it was kind of the classic backward twisting fall. Yeah. And it was like, dude, seriously, like this is how, this is your first crash of the year for the stupidest reasons imaginable and a slightly different scenario. I might have been finding myself um I, well with a blown ACL. So again, things happen. We're going to keep doing these things. Please be smarter. If you hear someone from the chairlift like, you know, shouting for you, don't don't look right then. <laughs> but uh anyway, that's my little close call for the for the week. So
3: always a good good wake up call.
0: Yeah. Anyway, so let's be safe out there. Let's go have a lot of fun. Uh, Kara, thank you for telling your story and and we're going to keep this going because we, I mean, for every reason that is crystal clear from Kara's story, we just want to drive home more of these stories. And so submit yours and uh, hopefully some of them are kind of funny or stupid like mine. Um, and uh, I don't know, I think it'll be a good thing. And uh, our biggest thing is we don't care how you get covered. If you can find some different avenue, but get freaking covered, that's that's our thing. And we've looked at the other options out there. And the whole reason we created this is because there weren't many and aren't many. And also, don't just be like, well, my parents will got me. That's not, you if that's what you're thinking right now, you should go tell your parents about this and see what they say. Yeah. Your parents want you to have this insurance. Definitely. Your parents probably want you to have this. Anyway, If you don't have a good Christmas gift for your parents, get yourself on spot.
2: They'll thank
3: you. you. It's a gift for your parents.
0: (laughs) 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 Anyway. All right. We'll, uh, we'll leave it at that. Um, Any quick, what we're celebrating? Honestly, maybe what I should be celebrating is that I didn't blow my knee. Uh, Yeah. God, I would have (laughs) been. God, I would have been mad.
3: I guess I'm celebrating that today when I was skiing mogul super hard, I forgot which knee I had.
0: Oh, that's Aww. huge <laughs> that's awesome that's my that's like such a big part in the injury process when you can't remember like which shoulder it was or which knee mm. so that that's actually our thing. that's our thing. that's what we're celebrating today, so yeah, so
3: three winters later, and it's easy to forget, but that's I now I have a spot, so yeah, in future instances, hopefully not, but.
2: I remember my first run in CB with Kara when she was getting her confidence back up and I took her to like the manky (laughs) trees to the right of Big Shoot. Had no idea, felt terrible, but it's great to hear that today.
3: (laughs) Yeah, I was like, bye Dylan, it's okay. Thanks for taking me out here, you can go.
0: (laughs) It was like five minutes after meeting Kara. Yeah. (laughs) All right, folks, we're gonna leave it at that. Um, But thanks to both of you, that's it for Gear 30 and we'll talk to all you folks later. See ya. Thanks. And that then brings us to the end of this edition of Gear 30. I want to say thanks to Luke and Dylan and Kara for the good conversation. And I hope you all took Kara's story to heart. And please go check out our Blister Plus Spot membership and coverage because we don't want you to end up wrecked like Kara right? So check this out. We will include a link in the show notes of this episode. You can also find information about our blister plus spot membership by going to our website. And we just want everybody covered. And we don't want you to have to move back into your parents' house because you have to write a $10,000 check. Okay. So don't put this one off, go check it out. See if it makes sense for your current situation And as soon as you're signed up, you are covered. All right, let's do this. All right, finally, I want to say thanks to the strikingly handsome Justin Bob for producing this episode. And I should say once again, we have confirmation that J-Bob is going to be at our Blister Summit. So if you want to just see exactly how strikingly handsome Justin Bob is, come to our summit, meet him yourself. And if you want to see how damn good he is on a snowboard, well, then you should also come to the Summit because he's something else on a board too. Dude might be handsome, but he can also ride. All right, that's all we got for you today. Thanks, everybody, and we will talk to you real soon.